0: This is Paul to the church in Corinth through a letter. First Corinthians, Paul gives them a spanking. It's a pretty tough letter. Second Corinthians, though, God has done great work in the church in Corinth, and now he is calling them and asking them to take part in gospel ministry around the world. We come to chapter 9. The point is this, Paul says, "...whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully." Verse ten: He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply, multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the servants, but is also overflowing in me thanksgivings to God. By the approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ, and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others, while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Finally, in verse 15, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Praise be to God for his great word this morning. Well, you may have noticed, as I read through that, that there's a particular theme that comes up in this text, which is generosity. That is the mark, and a significant mark, of a Christian. And listen, if you're here this morning, and you, the pastor, you know, there's a couple, there's a couple talks, a couple sermons that we have to do a couple times a year, and everyone groans. It's evangelism, prayer, and, and, and giving. And everyone kind of goes, yes, pastor, I know. I'm supposed to be doing this. Why do we have to talk about this? Well, because the Bible talks about it a lot. In fact, it goes so far to say that there is there you will experience no significant spiritual growth unless you put your money and your attitude into God's hands and surrender this aspect in this area of your life and let him do with it what he may. See, for so often, like, particularly the doctor is a good illustration. You go to the doctor and you say, doctor, I've got these symptoms and these issues. And the doctor begins to ask you questions. Like, are you under a lot of stress? And are you getting enough sleep? And tell me about your work life. And you go, doctor, 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 hold on. Your job is the physical. You let me worry about the emotional and the vocational. Well, why does he have to ask about those things? Well, because they're all interconnected You can't simply just stay with one area. God says, if you want to come to me, and you want me to do work in your marriage, you want me to do work in your vocation, you want me to do work in your life to change you, I have to have all aspects of your life, not just some. And as God and as king in your life, we have to talk about your money. Unless you're willing to talk about your money, there's not going to be a whole lot of change as a Christian. Now, okay, so I want to say this. Now, this is is for you church people. This sermon this morning. If you are not necessarily a part of the church, and particularly if you're just kind of checking us out and checking Christianity out, I just want to say we are so glad to hear that you're here this morning. You get to listen in as I talk to everybody else. Actually, there's precedent for this on this exact topic. In Luke chapter 12, which is one of the more famous texts in the Bible uh, to speak on in regards to generosity, why did that light keep flipping on me? Is anybody else to me? We all have, like, uh, we're about to have a seizure? What's going on? All right. Luke chapter 12, there's this classic passage where Jesus is talking about generosity, and he's speaking to thousands of people. In fact, it says that there's so many people that they're trampling on one another. And right in the midst of this, of being this crowd pressing in, Jesus has been speaking to the crowd. All of a sudden, it says he directs, and he begins to talk to his disciples in the hearing of the crowds. And he talks to them about generosity. Because you have to understand the Christian's understanding of generosity and what what motivates us to give. And if if you hear that, you will hear the gospel. You will see what it means to be, in large part, what it means to be a Christian and to follow Jesus. If you're here this morning and you're checking out Christianity, we just want you to listen. Listen in as we have a family discussion about money. This is not a request to you to give necessarily. Listen, God requests something of you. At first it's not your money. It's from something far more than that. It's your heart and your life. And then what falls from that is your money. So hopefully this morning you hear about why he is worthy for him to give you for you to give him your life. Listen, I want to be brief this morning because I have some special things I want to address at the end that are specific to our church. So I want to dive into it. Two points this morning. First, I want to look at the character of our generosity from 2 Corinthians 9. The character of our generosity. As Christians were to be generous, and the context of 2 Corinthians chapter 9 is this. Is Paul is writing to churches and he is visiting various churches as he goes around to the various areas where he has planted churches and he is going to them and he is raising funds to send back to the church in Jerusalem because there is a great famine that has gone on in that area around Jerusalem and Judea. And the church is greatly suffering and is having a difficult time both doing ministry, but even caring for those in the church with their very basic needs like food and shelter. And so Paul is going to some of the areas around where he has planted churches, and he is raising money to send back to the Jerusalem church. He goes to places like Corinth, which is a wealthy seaside community, which there's lots of money in that area because of the shipping and the, tra- the, the commerce that went on there. And so he is coming to them and asking them now to be ones who would give towards the church in Jerusalem for their care. And Paul shares with us here in his command to give and his call to give, he gives us two aspects of what the, the character of our giving is to look like. And really what he does is he juxtaposes the ways we give. The first juxtaposition is he compares we are to be bountiful in our giving versus sparing in our giving. Bountiful versus sparing. Verse 6, he points this out. He says, Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap Bountifully. What does this mean? Well, the point that Paul is doing, making here is he's making a picture from the farming community. And the principle here should be rather clear. If you sow, if you throw out fewer seeds, you're by nature going to probably have less fruits. And so the principle is throw out all the seed that you have. Don't begrudge throwing seed out. The farmer doesn't take his bag and go, I'm going to save these seeds over here just because I like to have seeds. Seeds are no good in the barn. The the farmer will go out and be liberal in the way in which he spreads the seed out. He is giving. So the more he sows, the more harvest that he will have, the more fruit that he will have. And this is the analogy that Paul is making for the Christian life. That the more seed you throw out, whether it be your time, your talents, or your treasures, the more you use those things, the more harvest you will have. Some of you have never led someone to Jesus. You know Why? because you've never shared your faith with anybody. It's hard to produce fruit when you're not spreading the seeds, when you're not sharing the gospel. And much the same way, some of us have very little effect for the kingdom of God, not only in the city, but around the world, because we are not giving generously. We are to give bountifully. And bountifully is juxtaposed to the one who gives sparingly. It's interesting here. He assumes still they're going to give. He's talking to good church people, remember? We church people, we give, Right? But we give sparingly often. You know, the average church member in America gives 3%. Most people understand that the rule of thumb is 10% is the tithe, which is the Old Testament rule. We'll talk about that in a minute. But 3% is how much the average American evangelical gives. We give sparingly. We do just enough to assuage our guilt. In other words, what we, we don't give from the heart, as Paul calls us to here in a second, but we withhold. We say, I'll give just enough to cross that off the list, and then, then I can feel good about myself. For the first way is you give bountifully, bountifully, not sparingly. You give in abundance. Literally, that word bountifully means that you give in such a way that you can bless someone else with abundance. You're so faithfully that other people would be blessed with abundance. They have so much blessing that they can turn around and give to other people. It's trickle-down giving, so to speak. That's the kind of giving that we're supposed to have. Second, we see that the next uh, comparison, the character of our giving is that we are to be cheerful versus reluctant givers. Verse 7, Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Cheerful giving flows from the heart. Do you see that? This is, not just a, honestly, this is not just a hallmark card that Paul is giving. The heart is the seed of your affections and your emotions. It's your greatest desires are seen by what your heart loves. And when you give, you show what your heart loves. We are to give because we love people, that we love the gospel. We are to be flow, our giving is to flow out of that, not to be this something that's guilt riddled. And the Old Testament actually it tells us in all these places where it says to give a tenth and a tithe and to leave part of your fields for the impoverished. The Old Testament says, it even gives us commands there not to give reluctantly. It says that you actually, you undercut the very benefit and the blessing of giving when you give reluctantly, when you give with a bad attitude. It's the similar goes with the way we talk to our kids about how, when they obey. If they obey, but they storm off with a frown and a bad attitude, that's not real obedience. They may say, I'm obeying on the outside, but inside I'm rebelling, this is how many of us give. God, I'm giving on the outside because I have to, because I'm sad for those poor people over there. But we give reluctantly. We're not giving from a heart. The Scripture assumes that what is crucial in our giving is the attitudes, the hearts, the desire of our heart to express the gospel and the, the greatness of the gospel in the way we give. And this is so different from the way that we, we give and, frankly, the way our culture and even our churches call us and engage us to give. Listen, if you're, everybody, we've all got the great image, right? Of when you're watching TV, usually it's a cable television show, later at night, and what comes on? You can hear it now. I'll remember you. And then Angels by Sarah McLaughlin. And a wet dog somewhere in an alley will come on your screen. And for $36 a month, you can take care of now the wealthiest dog in the world for $36 a month. Right? Well, the way we engage and call people to give is to essentially guilt them in it. It's a wonder. People, it's so funny. The liberal mind is this hey, you should give. And then we give out of duty and guilt and have a self righteous attitude about it. And then it's, oh, they're so paternalistic in the way they give. We wonder why we're so messed up. We're called to give through guilt, just guilting us and twisting our arms. So that's one method. Another method is taxation, right? Taxation is the when you are compelled or compulsed to give by the government. Listen, I, I feel like I give plenty of pushback in this church to the conservatives in the room. For you, politically conservatives, calling you to live in light of the gospel, that the gospel's, that the most, much of the conservative agenda is not in line with it. But let me push back on some of you liberals who would like to just tax everyone and give everyone else's money away to everybody else. This is not effective for actually calling people and engaging people to be generous people. It doesn't work. One, you need to actually read a study as to how people come out of poverty. Go read the book, When Helping Hurts. It does not come from just simply dumping money on people. Second, you need to study efficient practices. You can go to the websites that show the best nonprofits to give to out there. And I guarantee you, the United States government is not the most efficient nonprofit to give to. <laughs> and third, and actually most importantly to the point in the text, is this is not giving that is done from the heart, it is giving that is done by compulsory taxation. Listen, there may be a place to tax, governments have a right to care for their people. I think you can see it even in the Old Testament. There was ways in which they essentially had Israelite welfare. But, but, if we actually want to see significant change in this world, that change does not come from simply forcing people to give. It comes from articulating the gospel so beautifully that people give with the bounty that actually changes the world. So church, listen, young people who we love we're, who see the world and we have the idealism that, listen, things can change, and if only the government could get involved in these things. That, that, okay, you can vote in that way, but i would also say this. The gospel's got to come first. The gospel ultimately is what's going to bring about the change. Gifts given under some sense of external compulsion will always be half-hearted at best, and frankly will usually just create a pendulum swing where people get angry that they've been, their money has been taken from them for so long. The gift giving here that we're called to in Second Corinthians is one where you purpose in your heart. Your heart. It's interesting. He says here that it flows from a heart of love, but it's also it's well thought out. It's well. It says decide in your heart what you're going to give. This whole aspect of like, man, that was a really good song, and so I'm going to drop twenty instead of ten in the offering plates. It's not the way God calls you to give. He calls you to be purposeful, to be strategic to give thought to the way in which you give. So giving bountifully means giving from the heart that wants to share things. It is your delight to share things. The Christian who gives, something has happened in their heart where the basic desire is now to share all that God has given to them. That their perspective on what God has given to them is not that this is mine, but this is God has given this to me in order to give to the world around me. Well, since I don't want to guilt you into giving... What I want to do for the rest of our time and give you the is give you the reasons and, and correct biblical and gospel motivations to give. Three reasons Paul gives us this morning for generosity. So the call is to give, to give bountifully, to give cheerfully. And there's three reasons I think three general reasons that Paul gives us here to give. The first is this: the first reason to give is because of the promises of God. The promises of God. So this is looking forward to the future. God promises to be abundant towards towards and enrich those who give. That's the promise here. God promises to be abundant and enrich those who give. I'm going to read verse 8, verse 10, and verse 11. Follow along in your own Bibles. It says this, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times... You may abound in every good work. Verse 10, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. I'm just to give you here the principles of this promise that are here because it's kind of scattered. Paul, sometimes you kind of go, dude, come on, could you just be a little more clear? You kind of pack in, but you say the same thing, but you say it in three different ways. Just give it to us. The principles of the promise are this. The more you sow, the more you will reap new seeds with which to sow more. That's the promise. And it's actually, if you go back, this makes sense with the farm illustration, right? In an ancient eastern context, back in the day, in an agricultural society, when they would sow seed, they would not only get fruit in order to eat, but where would they get the seed for next year's crops? From the fruit that they sowed this year. So they take the seeds out of the fruit that they are now eating and they sow it next year. In order to have a crop next year, you have to sow abundantly this year. That's the principle here. That you, you not only need the harvest this year, but God, when you have that harvest, he now gives you that blessing in order then you can give those seeds back to the ground to produce even more harvest. This follows a principle we see other, way, other places in scripture, which is this. He who is faithful with little will be entrusted with much. And when you sow abundantly, you are given more with which to sow even more abundantly is the principle. The promise of God is to give abundantly, and God will give you all that you need, even more than you need in order to give. And this is the beauty of it. When we are open-handed with others, our hands become open to receive even more from God. If If you're not looking at me, this is a poignant image. If your hands are closed to God's and His requests you to be gracious and giving to the world around you, you are not able to receive from Him and have the open hands to receive from Him. The more you release your hands, your hold on the possessions and the things of this world, the more you actually have to receive. Your hands are open and able to receive back from the Lord. So that's the first principle of the promise. The more you sow, the more you will reap new seeds to sow even more abundantly. The second, we see the purpose of God's abundance is so that we can give more. This is, this is, I have to communicate this rather clearly because this is a confusion that many Christians fall into. This belief that giving is the Christian's best investment plan to actually getting rich. And I mean real riches in this world's This is what is espoused by the health and wealth people, and I'll get back to them in a second. But let me just articulate why this is not true in the text. That if you take it as being, hey, your motivation to give is so that you can get rich, that's that's not what this text is saying. Walk through this with me. Verse 8, God makes all grace abound to you. Why? So you may abound in every good work. Is it so you can hoard those riches? No, so you can do even more work. Verse 10, God will multiply your seed. Why? So that we can produce a harvest of what? A huge bank account? A nice house? No. A harvest of righteousness. Verse 11, you will be enriched. Why? To be generous in every way. Are you getting the point? When God gives us resources, God gives us more than we need. So that we can take all the abundance that God has given us and give it away. We don't, God is not blessing you phys, physically and materially in order to hoard that to yourself. And this does, as I said this a second ago, this, this undercuts what is a, a false gospel that is articulated both in our country and is what is being shipped around the world from America. Now, I've tried not to go after this because I think it's like, it's one, it's too easy, it's too low-hanging fruit, but here the text seems to deal with it so clearly that I can't run past it. But the health and wealth gospel is essentially this. It says this, that if you will give abundantly and be obedient to God, then God will make you rich. And he will give you temporal blessings. Now, mind you, Jesus was perfectly obedient and he got death on a cross. So I'm not exactly sure they get this theology. But, but they, they, they seem to twist the scriptures over and over and over again. And it's names that you are familiar with. Joel Osteen is the most well-known one. Creflo Dollar, Kenneth Copeland, or maybe some ones that you're not, you didn't, you aren't familiar with or that you are unaware that they're health and wealth preachers. Joyce Meyer is a health and wealth teacher. Hillsong, the church in Australia that produces great music and their theology, and their music seems to be pretty good, but their theology that's preached on their stage stinks. It is a, it's a model that says that you, you give, give to our ministry. And not only would you get this book from us and this prayer cloth but God will make you rich. You understand, this is why those pastors have to fly around in a jet, their own jet, right? It is the proof that they are living out what they are preaching, that we have given so abundantly that look God, how God has blessed us. And they're, in their mindset, they're being righteous by buying a jet for themselves. So they can get to other places and be more efficient in their ministry, is what they would say. Listen, this is a, a lie from the hell it smells like smoke. And we should call it out. And Christian, if you are believing this, and it's, it, we think we don't have this because you know, we don't have that theology and we don't read those books. But we, we do. We seem to get into this where we get angry when God doesn't give us. God, I've adopted all these kids. Where's the money? Why is my bank account not full? That's how we think, right? God, I shared my faith at my campus. Why am I running out of money? Why don't I have a job right out of school? I'm raising support to go on staff. Where's the money, God? Come on now. Cough it up. This is how we think. But this is, this is anti gospel. This is antithetical. God says, no, if I give you blessings, so use those things to give to others. Third, the third prom- pr- principle in regards to this promise is this that the riches God provides are not always financial. The principle Paul lays out here is similar to the crass economic principle that you see in the world the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. That's actually kind of the principle at play here, that when you're not faithful with little, you have that little taken away. And for those that are faithful with little, you're given more. The generous get richer and the miserly get poorer. A truth, right? We see this in some of the characters, like Dickens' character in Scrooge. Now, Scrooge was financially very wealthy, but he was impoverished where? Relationally. He was rich in regards to money, but he was poor relationally. Listen, you may become very poor in wealth if you give away your money, if you become a generous person, but my guess is you become rich in friends. Become rich in friends. You become rich in kingdom influence. You become rich in joy in your walk with Jesus. So the blessings that God gives you is not always financial when you have sown seed abundantly, but often it's in joy in serving him. Paul assumes in these verses that the most valuable thing about money is that we can use money for kingdom work. That's why he gives it to us. Money, when it is an idol, it owns you. But when you've been set free from money, it becomes the currency of grace. It becomes a currency by which you can be a blessing. God's hands and feet is a blessing to the world. So the first, we see the reason to give is because God promises to bless us. The second, the second reason to give is because of God's past provision. So we look at God's future promises of provision, but now we look at God's past provision. God has already been gracious to us, hasn't he? Verse 9, it says it this way, as it is written, this is quote from a proverb, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Here's what I want you to see, we are called to give bountifully. And the power to give bountifully is when you understand and see that God has given bountifully to you. Did you understand that God didn't just tithe? God doesn't tithe his son, does he? He gives us his all. And is God sparing in the way he gives? Let me just say it very clearly from Romans eight thirty two, It says this, He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for a soul. how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? You want to know why it's true, why God's promise, you can trust God's promise that he will bless you abundantly when you give away your wealth, when you give away your time, when you give away your talents. You you know how you know that's true? Because God has already given you the most precious thing he had, and that was his son. He guarantees the promise that we just heard about. God not only gave bountifully, he wasn't Scrooge-like in his giving. He gave the fullness of his Son, but God also gave cheerfully and joyfully. It says in Second Corinthians 9, verse 9, right here at the beginning of this text, he distributed freely. And in Luke chapter 12, verse 32, when he's talking about giving your life away for the kingdom of God, he says, fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. God gives us all things. It is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. God calls you to be a cheerful giver. But the power by which you are motivated to be a cheerful giver is when you see that God is the greatest cheerful giver. He delights, when it says this, when Jesus is going to the cross, to give himself bountifully and abundantly for us. What does it say? For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Now, yes, he was weeping and he was wailing, but it said internally there was joy in the fact that he was going to get you. This is the cheerfulness of God's giving. God takes pleasure in. In us. That's the way he has provided for us abundantly in the salvation of Christ. But not only that, I want you to see in this text in verse 9, not only has he given it to us bountifully, not only has he given it to us cheerfully, but he gives us to us, he gives us and provides for us when we are impoverished. When God found you, you were spiritually impoverished. This text here in, in the Greco-Roman world, to, to whom the, the, the culture in which these people are reading this, in the Greco-Roman world, it was assumed that it was pointless to give anything away. To give away your wealth to a beggar on the street because they had a very pragmatic it was they can't do anything for you they can't pay you back they can't serve you in any way what we see here in this text is that jesus gave to us when you had nothing to offer jesus jesus didn't bring you into his kingdom because he needed your money it says it says in the old testament he owns a cattle on a thousand hills he doesn't need your money He brought you in to make you part of his family and as a part of his kingdom, and then to help you and to enjoy being a part of that kingdom and a part of the Father's mission to change the world and to reach the others who are impoverished in this world. You see that God's delight over you even when you were poor. 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9 says it this way, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty... Might become rich. God's past provision. Martin Luther says this the Christian, a Christian is somebody who gets up every day and says, I'm rich, I'm rich, I've been adopted into the family of God. That's who you are. And understand that when you understand that kind of gospel provision, that the fact that God does not spare his own son, but he gives bountifully, that he gives joyfully and cheerfully. And then he gives to you who are impoverished and he makes us rich. This changes the question for us when we come to this issue of giving. Because the natural question whenever a preacher talks about giving is, all right, are we supposed to give the tithe? Right, that 10% thing they did in the Old Testament, we still got to do that? I don't see it anywhere in the New Testament. I ain't talking about it a whole lot. Do we still got to do that? That was just a nice idea. Those were guidelines. Those were nice guidelines. But we don't really have to find the, follow the guidelines anymore. Listen, in the Old Testament, the believers were required to give 10%, and actually they were, they were required to give far more than that. They gave 10% to the temple, and then they left part of their, uh, part of their fields, and they, they gave, brought actual animals for sacrifice. What we see is that Jesus comes to the Pharisees in a conversation, and he actually upholds the 10% principle. But then he says, listen, that's nice. Give your 10%, but I want more. I want more. I want your heart, and I want your life. You see, the principle of the New Testament is this. Like it's, listen, if what the Israelites knew in God's provision required them and called them to give 10%, I just got really holy there. <laughs> called them to give 10%, that so much more would it be for us who have seen and understood and have seen the greatness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In other words, if God would give us, the mystery of the gospel is that God would give us his son, how much more should we give than 10 percent? And so, yes, maybe there's not, hey, you have to give 10 percent, because we're not living based on a law that says if you don't give 10 percent, then you're going to hell. But what we've been called here is that if God would give himself to us, how much more should we give than 10 percent? That, that blows the question out of the water. The question now is, I must give as all that I can all of my life to God in every way that I possibly can. This changes the way we view our giving. It's no longer just let me, you know, mark off the list of obedience so I can feel good about myself to fulfill the guideline, but you give in light of Christ's sacrifice for you and the degree that he sacrificed and the degree that he gave to you. So God didn't tie the son, he tied this whole life, and that's the call for you. See, if you're not a believer here today, if you, you don't, you're not sure about this Jesus thing, and you're frankly, you're creeped out today because you came on the Sunday where they're talking about giving, and they just confirmed your stereotypes of Christians that all we care about is your money. Listen, don't give. We want more than your money. We want, you, we, want, we want everything. We want your life. We want you to be surrendered and sold out to Jesus. That's what he calls us to. And yes, that probably will involve your money at some point you see that he comes, and, and once you see that he is worthy of surrendering your life to him, that if he would care for you this much, that he would lay down his life for you, isn't he one that he's, he's worthy, he's earned the right for you to say, no one else has cared for me like this. No one else, else has gifted to me like this. Would you give your life to him? Giving your life to him, say, you say it literally. God, my life is yours. I have nothing to offer. I come impoverished. I come saying, I, I need nothing but your riches now. Give me your riches, God, so that I may be in your family. All right, so we see his future promises as a reason to give. We see his past provision as a reason to give. But also we have the present, and that's the impact of our generosity. One final point. God provides us great benefit, great blessings, abundance in wealth, and time, and talents, and treasures for a number of reasons. And Paul gives a number of them here, and I'm just going to run through this quickly. He gives us three. The first is this, that God provides for the physical needs, through physical needs through our generosity. The whole context of why Paul is even asking for money is so that the church in Jerusalem can be fed and so that they can do ministry. It provides for physical, actual needs. That's why we should give. We should give to care for the brokenhearted, to, to pay for people to get counseling, to restore their marriage, to pay for people to come into God's family, to pay in order to support families who want to adopt, to bring children from all over the world to live here. We, this money, this is very earthy. God uses our finances to care for people. to be the hands and feet of Jesus, he uses our wealth. The second, the impact of our generosity, we see that God unifies people through generosity. It's interesting here. Paul is asking Gentile Christians to give to Jewish Christians. Now, you, you have to understand the dynamic of what's going on in the New Testament. There has been significant debate in the early church as to whether Gentile Christians really belong in the church. And through much, much of Paul's journeys, he goes out and he plants churches amongst the Gentiles, and what happens is Jews from Jerusalem, or Jews who, are, who, are, who even maybe become believers, they say... Ah, no, I don't know. They're like second-class Christians at best. In fact, this disunity, and yes, yes, this prejudice and racism was so rampant in the church that that's why we had to create deacons. And yet, what do we see here? We see Gentiles who have been prejudiced against by others in the church, by the uptight and self-righteous Jewish Christians in the church, then Paul is saying, would you give to the Jewish Christians? And he says, through this, why? In very at the very beginning, it's so that they may, so that they may. He calls them to give, so they may be pleased with you, so they may love you. In other words, by giving you, break down walls of hostility. You break down You you bring about means of reconciliation and restoration. See, this is how how Christianity took over the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire was all it's all slavery, it's infanticide, it's corruption, it's decadence, it's immorality. But Christians changed the world in 300 years. They became the predominant religion in the world. Why? Because they cared for the widows and the orphans. And they broke down the dividing walls of hostility between various ethnic groups. And it changed the world. The third and final reason is this. Because God gets the glory. Paul makes it very clear, right? So that they may give thanks to God, so that you may give thanks to God. In verse 13, he caps it off very clearly. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God. The ultimate goal for your generosity is not for you to be praised, not for you to be lauded, not for you to feel good about yourself, but to give glory to your Father. This is not just a service for the poor. This is not just so that... We can be a part of something great, although that's, that's wonderful, but it's to give thanks to God in your giving. Alistair Begg, I shared this last week at the Foster Care Lunch. Alistair Begg takes, tells this great story. Some of you are familiar with Alistair Begg. He's a fairly well-known preacher, and he's from Scotland. He's got that great Scottish accent, and he, he tells a story about um, going to a nursing home, and every Sunday that, that when he was a youth pastor, the senior pastor would take him along to, on Sunday afternoons to go preach at a nursing home, and whenever they'd get up to preach all the old people would fall asleep. Immediately. Like, I mean, out. We actually, I had this, I had a guy went to pre, the previous church where I was at in Brookhaven. He was an older guy. He sat on the right in the front row, right in the middle. And I mean, you read this, by the time you finished reading the scripture before the sermon, that boy was out. And snoring. But so, so Alistair asked, he's He's like, why do we do this? Every Sunday, every we come here and they fall asleep. They're not even listening to us. And the old Scottish preacher said, Alistair, Alistair. I can't do a Scottish accent. (laughs) I think you've forgotten, Alistair. We do it not for them. We do it for him. We give not because it brings glory to us or even for the good of other people, although that's probably why we should do it. Ultimately, we do it for him. (laughs) Malachi 3, verse 10, I end with this. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, it says. That there may be food in my house, and therefore, thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. Put me to the test, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. You understand what he's saying there in Malachi? Bring the tithe into the house, and you see what God will do. In other words, it's saying tempt God, test him. If you're abundant, you just test and see how abundant and generous he'll be to you. How gracious he'll be to you. Listen, church, that's my challenge to you this morning. Would you be so abundant that you would play generosity chicken with God? You'd say, God, I dare you, I dare you to match this. That's the perspective of a gospel Christian. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have not withheld yourself but you poured yourself out for us to save us, to make us yours. Gracious God, I pray that we would be known as a generous church. Yes, Lord, with our finances. Yes, so that we can send more missionaries around the world, so that we can plant more churches, so that we can engage with more orphans. But Lord, I pray that we would also be people who give, pour out our lives to you that we'd be people who so proceed broadly through sharing our faith daily, that we would give up of our time and our energies. But Lord, I pray that we would give our lives to you and our hearts to you, that we would give joyfully because we, we do it in light of the good news of the gospel. So I pray that you give us joy, you give us delight in this. this. This would not just be another slap on the wrist, but this would be a pat on the back, an encouragement and a call to join God and his great work in this world. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.